win in the end. Isn't that awesome? How many of you know that we are the champions? Oh, yes. You can go home and tell people Lake Point Church played a queen song in church today. But we are the champions, not because of our might, because only through Jesus Christ. He is a champion, and because we are his bride, that automatically makes us the champions as well. And so, um, hey, I want to just give a hats off. We had some, uh, some little glitches, technical-wise, with uh, some things. And let's give a hats off. Let's give a, a, just a, a thank you uh, to all of our technical and production team for doing an awesome job. And they, uh, they do an awesome job. Sometimes there's lots of things that happen behind the scenes that we don't even know about sometimes. But they're uh, back there getting it all done. Hey, I- I'm so excited to present this, uh, this message. At the end of this message, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, and so uh, on the sides of the, uh, on both sides of, the, uh, of this worship center, we have a couple of tables, and we're going to observe that as families. And the kids um, who uh, want to partake of that with your families, you're actually going to come in at the end of the service um, as well, and be, you can, uh, they can participate that with, um, with you. But in this series, uh, Revelation, we have been able to look at uh, the entire book. Well, today we are going to close it out. And we see, we looked at a lot of things. And so during this message series, I've had to stay pretty close to my, um, to my notes just because I don't want to mess Revelation up and mess what God has uh, wanted to speak uh, to us. But we shared uh, lots of things throughout this series. Um, and, la- and, and I encourage you to go to uh, website, lakepornonline.com, and look at um, at some of the um, uh, previous um, messages. But last week, we talked about, we focused on this Babylonian spirit. When the Babylonian empire fell, uh, uh, the prophets were talking about that. Isaiah was talking about how the, uh, the Babylonian empire would fall. And he was also talking about Rome and how Rome would fall. Because when Revelation was written, Rome had not fallen yet. And so he was talking about that and how the Rome, when the Roman Empire fell, it threw the world into the Dark Ages uh, because there was a void of leadership. And so uh, the Rome fell, but it also shows uh, future kingdoms that fell. I mean, you can even you can even say the Nazi Party. Okay, you can you can even uh, you know say uh, even some religious um, uh, groups even today like Islamic radical Islam Islamic groups um, will one day fall because of this because what it is it's a Babylonian spirit it's a Babylonian spirit that just takes one culture and one city and one civilization and just continues to build upon a lot of the things we're seeing now we they actually saw in Rome but. We, today, are going to talk about how we win in the end and how we are champions through Christ. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the last four chapters of Revelation, and you're going to find some inspiration, and you're also going to uh, have an opportunity to see how we are the champions. So we're in Revelation chapter 19, verse 1 through 5. We're going to have the, uh, the scripture on the board on the screen behind me. You can follow at the Bible app. Dot com, Bible.com. So, all right, let's do this. Rejoicing over Babylonians fall. So chapter 19 continues to describe the impact of the fall of Rome or the great Babylonian spirit. This also describes the fall of the spirit of the end time. So uh, verse 1, after this, I, John, heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude of heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments 
He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God. This is what we saw at the beginning of Revelation, who was seated on the throne. And they cried, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you servants and you who fear him, both great and small. So we see this picture of rejoicing over the the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of Babylon falling down. Um, Verse 6. This, this goes into the marriage of the Lamb. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and um, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. Now the Lamb is, is Jesus Christ. And his bride has made herself ready. The bride is the church. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous act of God's holy people. Okay? Uh, Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who were invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now he's talking to an angel. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Now what's really cool is we see the same sort of description of this in Ephesians. The Apostle Paul wrote this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, his word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. So what he's saying is this, and what Paul is saying also, and he's describing the same scene, look, when the bride comes, when the church comes, she's without spot or wrinkle. What makes her blameless is the washing by the word of God. This right here cleanses us because what it does, it, now, you know, we can't just like lay, you know, in bed at night and put this on our chest and hope that it just sort of sinks in. Obviously, the word sinking in as we read it, as we memorize it, as we study it, as we meditate on it, it comes into our soul, into our mind, and more importantly, into our heart to where we live it out and we long to obey this. We long to obey this. And so we become a fan of the word. We become a fan of the word. Just like your favorite uh, sports team, okay? You become a fan. You begin to watch the team. It's like, I like that team. I really, uh, they're, they're winners. And you get jerseys, all right? And then you go crazy. And then you go to, to uh, tailgating. And you do all kinds of stuff. And so um, you become a fan of that team. And you study that team. And you follow that team. Well, that's like being a Christian. You want to be washed in the word of God. Um, Revelation uh, chapter 19, verse 11. This talks about the victorious Christ. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Talking about Jesus. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. That is awesome. (laughs) 
He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty um, and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider, who's Jesus, on the horse and his army. Uh, verse 20. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast, 666, and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. That's a pretty wicked scene. All right. So let's talk about that a little bit. The, the white horse does not stand, that Jesus is riding, does not stand for purity, but for victory. The name written on his robe, on Jesus' robe, and his thigh is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is interesting that these names are located on his thigh. The thigh was a location of the sword, and it was also the place where oaths were made. You see this in, in, in Genesis where they would make an oath. They'd put, put your hand under the person's thigh, which I've never done that before. Be weird. But hey, you know, you put the per, uh, and, and you say an oath. Okay, um, but it's interesting, that's where the, the sword is. So his name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that is his sword. It has mighty power. Before the battle has begun and before anyone joins in the fight, the result is certain. At the same time as the evil forces are gathering for battle, the birds are gathering in the air for the inevitable slaughter. The, the, the birds... Um, the circling of vultures overhead indicates the coming doom. Thus, John looks and sees the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against Christ and his army. The beast was captured along with the false prophet and are thrown in the lake of fire. The rest are slain by the sword that comes out of the mouth of Christ and all the birds ate their flesh. Notice, though, that there really is no battle. We don't see a picture of the battle. It's, it's only one-sided. Christ is like... Uh, we're not going to have time for this. I'm going to, I'm going to slaughter everybody. And again, he's talking about the evil people in the world. When, when everybody else has had a chance to, to, um, to proclaim Christ and to live for him. Um, the rest are slain by the sword that comes out of the mouth of Christ, and all the birds ate their flesh. Uh, Christ's victory is immediate. When the sword comes out of Christ's mouth, the battle belongs to the Lord, and the enemies are crushed. Being thrown alive into the lake of fire seems to indicate the experiencing of eternal punishment and torment. Revelation uh, 20, verse 10, tells us that the lake of fire is a place of eternal torment. The book of Revelation wants us to clearly understand that Christ is the one who has destroyed the beast, Christ is the one who is victorious, and Christ is the one who is Lord of heaven's armies. Now, I'm gonna pause right here before we go into chapter 20. I'm gonna speak into something that I feel like God 
um, God wants to share something with you. I think there's some people here today who need to hear this, what I'm about to tell you. So, so this chapter has a twofold message of the encouragement to Christians and for us, um, by, um, and for us as well. The marriage to the lamb has come and we make ourselves ready for this marriage to the lamb with our righteous acts. Not that we are make ourselves deserving of this great relationship. Rather, we are making the necessary preparations in purity and holiness to be transformed into what God wants us to be. The second message of encouragement is seeing the victorious Christ. Christ has won. Christ rules with all power and might over the nations and peoples of the earth. Do not leave Christ and worship something else. Worship God. Be on the winning team. Those who rebel against Christ are eternally punished in torment. So our encouraging word today is this. If you want on the winning side, if you want to be on the winning side, and we all want to root for a team that wins, okay? We do. When your team loses, it's like, oh, another loss, okay? But we all want to root and cheer for the team. We want to be on a on winning team, especially if you, if you play any kind of sports, you want to be on that team that wins. Jesus Christ is the commander of the winning team. Let's move on to chapter 20. This talks about the millennial kingdom. And we're going to start with verse 1, and it talks about the dragon and the abyss. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is a devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So let's discuss this a little bit. Satan is the great deceiver, and he could be deceiving uh, some of us even today. And will continue to tempt people to sin until Christ returns. The angel is pointing to something different when we are told that Satan can no longer deceive the nations. What has Satan been doing in the book of Revelation that he will no longer be able to do for a thousand years? It seems evident from our study that the dragon has lifted up a world power to make war on those who follow Jesus and deceive the world to worship it rather than God. We also need to examine the thousand-year period. There is nothing here to suggest that the thousand years are, are a little literal thousand years there's a lot of symbolism in this, in this book. Satan is going to be sealed in the abyss for a significant duration of time, while his release will be for a very short amount of time. We will be given more details about the thousand years in the, these next few verses. So, the reigning of Christ, verse 4. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years was ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, for they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So let me explain that a little bit. John sees the souls who have been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and the word of God. These are the ones who had not received the mark of the beast and did not worship 
the image of the beast. These are also the souls that we saw under the altar in Revelation chapter 6. When we were back, back in chapter 6, we saw those souls in the, in the, uh, under the altar. Remember that the souls under the altar, altar were told that more servants of God would be killed before their blood was avenged. And we're talking about those who were, who were part of the, the great tribulation after the rapture and the great tribulation. And they, did not, they chose not to receive the mark. They were beheaded. And so they were added to those under the altar. So we have seen the truth occur as th- those who did not re- uh, worship the beast are also killed. Their victory is again, is again depicted as they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. They share in the victory and are not permanently dead. Because of this, they will not experience the second death. So the, you, have the first res- you have the first resurrection and you have the second resurrection. Okay? And uh, so the first resurrection are for those who are uh, who have died and uh, who were beheaded during the Great Tribulation. And they're going to reign with Christ for a thousand years. And then the second um, resurrection happens later. All right? So, verse 7. Chapter 20, verse 7. This is talking about the judgment of Satan. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They march across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil was deceived, uh, who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, so you have the abyss... The abyss is different than the lake of fire. The lake of fire is hell. The abyss, a lot of people say that that's Hades, okay? The abyss is a sort of another place, sort of a, a holding area. It's like you're going you're to go and time out <laughs> for a thousand years, okay? And then he's going to be released, and then he's going to be going to the lake of fire. So Satan is going to use the world power to persecute um, uh, Christians and uh, sway the world away uh, from worshiping the true God. So what is Gog and Magog? Gog and Magog represent the heathen enemies against God's people. These are the nations of the world that fight against God's people. The devil is going to exert his power over the nations of the world again to gather for battle. The devil will have power to deceive the nations again. Satan is going to try and destroy the people of God yet again, just as the nations gather to try to destroy God's people before Uh, but were destroyed by Christ, so it will happen again. Christ will destroy the enemies of God's people, described as fire coming down from heaven and consuming the enemies. Satan is finally cast into the lake of fire at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, at the place where the beast and the false prophet were already cast in chapter 19. There they all are tormented day and night forever and ever. God brings his judgment against Satan, and he will endure eternal punishment. Then let's talk about the judgment of the dead. So you have the judgment of Satan, and now you have the judgment of the dead. Then I, John, saw a great white throne of him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. So imagine this with me as I read this. Everyone else who has died, standing before the throne, the books were open. Another book was open, which is a book of life. 
The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades, there's Hades, that holding area, gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, hell. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And Paul, the apostle Paul, talks about that. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So the, the thread of the gospel, the thread of this message is amazing. And, and a lot of things we're, we're reading in Revelation, you're going to find in the book of Daniel. You're going to find in the book of Isaiah. You're going to find in the book of Ezekiel. All of those prophets, and, and you can almost see some of the word, uh, the same similarities of, of, of words used to describe what we are describing in the last few chapters of Revelation. So, so explaining this judgment of the dead, the sea giving up the dead and death and Hades giving up all its dead further emphasizes the point that this is the final judgment that no one will escape. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This shows that there is no more death at this point and no more Hades. Hades is a resting place of the souls who, who died. There's no more need for Hades because there is no more death and no more earth. Chapter 21. We've got two chapters. New heaven and new earth. So now John sees a new heaven and a new earth because the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. We saw the first heaven and earth pass away in, in Revelation, uh, in the last chapter. The time of this physical earth is completed. It is burned up. Now the new heaven and new, new earth will be ushered in. So chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Hallelujah. For the old order of things has passed away. He who has seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write, these, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. These verses confirm the understanding that the new heaven and new earth are about the full restoration of God to his people and Christ's kingdom completing it of all the authorities of power. He is the authority, the final authority. Verse 2 of what we just read shows the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The city, which is the new church, the church. 
the bride. We will not be fully restored to God until that time. So let me share something with you. If We're not going to be fully restored until that particular time. If you have made the decision to follow Christ, let me tell you something. You need to listen to this. If you have the decision to follow, if you made the decision to follow Christ, you will still feel dirty at times because of sin in your life. Even if you follow Christ, you're going to sin. Now, obviously, if you're sinning intentionally all the time, you need to check your heart and you need to make sure you're following Christ. You need to make sure you're giving your life to him. But even if you have accepted Christ as Savior, you're going to feel dirty at times because of sin in your life. That's because we live in a sinful world. So you're never going to feel, this is important, fully restored to God while on this earth. You're never going to feel fully restored to God while you're on this earth. Satan will use those feelings against you, saying, if you're a Christian, you should not have this sinful struggle in your life. Can I tell you something? Many people have this idea. When they follow Christ and they accept Christ, and they keep having, having sinful, the sinful nature that kind of sway them back to the old life, they think, well, maybe I'm just not good enough. I should, be, I should be fully restored as a Christ follower. I should feel different. I should not have sin in my life. Can I tell you something? That is straight from the devil himself, and he's telling you a lie. You're not going to be fully restored. I'm not going to be fully restored until this happens. When sin is defeated, when there's no more reason to have Hades, but hell is now full of, of the devil and his angels, which it was prepared for, was it prepared for us, and for uh, all of other humanity who lived a sinful life, who never accepted Christ as Savior, never believed in him, never gave their heart to him. So that's when we will be fully restored, when the new Jerusalem, when the bride of Christ comes down and she is adorned unto the groom, Jesus Christ. But can I tell you something? You're not going to feel fully restored until that happens. Don't think that because you stumble and fall that you're not good enough to come to church, to be a, a part of the bride, you are. I think that's the number one reason why many people have left the church. They keep swaying away, and they think they're not good enough. Can I tell you something? None of us are good enough to be sitting here. None of us. I, as your pastor, I'm not good enough to be standing here and reading the word of God to you. I'm not good enough for that. And, but you know what? Christ and his holiness and his purity and his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy washes away our sin. And he looks at us and says, you are able to have a relationship with me, you are able to come into my kingdom. It's prepared for you. So I just want to, I just wanted to pause and because some of you might be struggling with that. You're not going to feel like a full, pure Christian <laughs> because while you're on this earth, because we have sin and we're going to struggle. Okay? Now, if you're struggling with something big, don't tackle it alone. That's why you have the church. That's why we have the church. All right, enough of that. 
Verse nine, verse nine, talking about the bride, talking about us, you're the bride. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to, said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. The city, New Jerusalem, represents the people of God. So let's talk about the walls and the gate. So uh, verse 11, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of very precious ja uh, jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, and three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Well, let's talk about what this city looks like. Here's some measurements in uh, verse 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square. It's as long as it is wide. So picture a, a square city. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia. That's about 1,400 miles. That's like from, if, if you were to walk from Atlanta to Denver, Colorado, that's about 14, 1,500 miles. That's about how long and how wide this great city is. That's a big city. Um, the angel um, measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits. That's about 220 feet thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the earth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacknith, whatever, I can't pronounce that, and the twelfth Amos. Some of these, as I was reading, as I was studying this, I was like, we don't even know what some of these are. The, verse 21, the 12 uh, gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. That's a huge pearl. The great street uh, of the city was of gold as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There's no church. There's no first Baptist heaven. Okay, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. It doesn't, why? Because God is the temple. He is the temple. Uh, this, uh, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives us light. That means it's not going to be hot and sticky. It's just going to be light. Praise the Lord. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring the splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no more night there. The glory and honor, and by the way, in, in the Bible times, the gates would be shut at nighttime. The city of Jerusalem, every city in, the, in, in Old Testament, New Testament, they would shut the gates at night. Well, it's, there's, there's no night, so no reason to shut the gates. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought in. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there's no temple. The reason why um, the temple, uh, there's no temple is that the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb is a temple. There's no need for an intercessor between us and God. God is the temple. We have direct access and fellowship with the Lord. Now, chapter 22, last chapter, book of Revelation. 
Let's talk about the river of the water of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river. Now this city, remember, 1,400 miles, 1,400 wide and across. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and its servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. They will be, there will be a no more night. There will be no need of the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So let's talk about this. this. The last time we, we read about the tree of life was where? In the Garden of Eden, okay? Uh, in Genesis, the tree of life was put in the midst of the garden, there in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they had to be cast out of the garden. This symbolized, and by the way, just a, a, another side note, you know the reason why God had to put guardian angels to guard the, 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 the Garden of Eden? Because once they partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they sinned, and they were cast out. The reason they had to put an angel uh, guarding the gates of the Garden of Eden, because if they were to come back into the garden, eat of the tree of life that gives eternal life, they will be eternally doomed to destruction. There will be no help because uh, they would live forever in their sin. That is a reason why God, I mean, he loved us. He did that for us. So we wouldn't be trapped in that. Just a side note. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they had to be cast out of the garden. This symbolized their separation from God. Verse 4 is simply staggering if we let it, the words sink in their hearts. Verse 4 says, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. The servants of God and the Lamb, we will see his face. The hope of God's people is finally realizing seeing God face to face. We can see the face of God. We can finally see his face. Here's some final words of encouragement. Verse 6. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Now, this is Jesus talking. Look, I am coming soon. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Blessed, church, are you who keeps the words of this prophecy in this book of Revelation, this letter. As you read it, as you study it, and as we as a church have gone through it, he's saying, Lake Point Church, blessed are you for keeping the words of this prophecy. That's why I felt like we needed to go through this book because I did not want to be a pastor of a church and, and, and face God and say, you know, I never really introduced Revelation to our church. Yeah, many people have read it, but we've never gone through it as a church. Verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I, heard and, uh, when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. It happened earlier, second time. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of the scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of the scroll because the time is near. 
Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. So here's a last word of invitation and warning. So here's your invitation. And here's also a warning. It's Jesus talking. Verse 12. Okay, as I read this, I want you to imagine that Jesus is talking directly to you. Look, fill in your name right there. He's like he's talking to you. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through their gates into the city. Washing their robes. Right here. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of water of life come. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Again, Jesus, red letters right there. Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. Amen. So, Jesus is coming soon. You say, Frank, that was like, that's been over 2,000 years ago. Why is he not coming soon? A thousand years is like a day to God. A day is like a thousand years. Our time concept is different from God's. He's coming soon. Things in the world, in this world, are getting worse. Some of the things that we saw in this book, we see that are happening right now. 